guys, it's Lori. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 167, The Social Garden. Yes, hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I'm your host, Lori Krieg, and I don't have my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle husband. Argyle husband. (laughs) Argyle expert and my husband, Matt Krieg, with me today. But I do have the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Steve, welcome. Hi, guys. Hey, man, guys, we are so excited to jump into the conversation today, finishing our garden series talking with our dear friend, Greg Coles, who is single, identifies as gay. You're going to hear us uh, throughout the conversation say, if you, if that's a struggle for you to hear that word gay, we hear you, we respect you. Uh, we would just ask you in your mind to just switch it out for experiences, attraction, same sex. On this podcast, we don't get caught up in identity language. It's just the way we are. Um, but he is celibate and surrendered to Jesus. And I am so excited for you guys to hear about his social life in the social garden, his relationships, his intimacy, feeling of belonging. How does he interact with loneliness? How does he engage the church? And what can single and married people learn from his experience about how to engage each other well? Just a reminder, the purpose of this series that we're wrapping up today is to help us understand that life is more than a timeline. It's more like a gorgeous garden to cultivate with Gardener God. Now, before we dive in with Greg, I wanted to remind you guys that you can watch these podcasts on YouTube or Vimeo. So you can see Greg, you can see me, see Steve for a hot second or two. Uh, But go ahead and like and subscribe if you're willing. Uh, But then you can interact with us better there. Okay. I am so excited to introduce to you all again, Greg Coles. Greg, welcome back to the show for the third time. Hey, thanks for having me. Third time is the charm, they say. I have heard that so before. The last, the, the the first two were fun, but I'm expecting great things from this one. I pray it is so. Man, guys, if you want to hear Greg's previous uh, conversations with us on this podcast, we will have those episodes in the show notes. You can hear some more of his story. And also, I mean, you talked about our book. <laughs> That was really kind. Uh, But we want to talk about your second book today called No Longer Strangers that I gobbled it up in about 24 hours. Um, But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Greg, if you don't know him, he is a dear friend of ours and of Steve. Uh, He holds a Ph.D. in English from Penn State and lives in central Pennsylvania where he works as a writer, speaker, and worship leader. Greg is a frequent contributor to the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. You guys know our our dear friend Preston Sprinkle there. And he curates most of his creative activities at gregorycoles.com. We will also link to that in the show notes. And he is the author of two books. The first one is Single Gay Christian, A Personal Journey of Faith and Sexual Identity. Highly recommend it. That's one that I uh, tell people to read. Um, if they're going to read two books, read People to be Loved and then Single Gay Christian if they want to engage the LGBT conversation well. Please don't get caught up on identity language. I beg you, just read the book. Um, but then the second book that I also highly recommend is No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. It's just a lovely title that just makes my heart feel peaceful. Greg, thanks for sharing some of that story and uh, just some of your life with us today. Oh, it's, it's my honor. 
Man, Greg, I know I've asked you this before, but we are going to ask you the set of questions that we ask everybody. Uh, just for those new listeners who haven't heard your previous uh, conversations with us. And so it's this, if the gospel is, I'm more loved than I imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe. Greg, when was that gospel first good news for you? And how do you still need it today? I well, I, I don't remember exactly what I've said the last times around. So we'll have to line up my answers and see if they match. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, my recollection of, of the first time I remember sort of claiming that good news um, I was I was about seven years old, and I was growing up in Indonesia, uh, which was going through some political upheaval at the time. And so, though I wasn't that unsafe, I think in my child's mind, I was like, the world is fairly unsafe, and I may die at any time. Um, and so, I remember having a conversation uh, with, with my dad one night as I was going to bed. Um, and I was like, I just sort of want to make sure, like, that I understand the whole Jesus thing, the whole, like, life and eternity thing. Um and dad was like, here's what you do. You sort of like surrender your hold over this life and then you get eternity in exchange. And I was like, that sounds like a really good exchange because I'm not even sure how much longer I'll have this life. So like, might as well let that one go and, you know, sort of claim the next. Mm. Um, I think uh, over the course of time, you know, the the nature of that exchange, how I understand what it means to follow Jesus uh, has evolved and matured. I think uh, in some ways, it has gotten more difficult. In some ways, it has gotten more beautiful. Um, I think it's a little less fire insurance now. At the time, I was like, we just got to make sure when I die, I'm going to heaven. Right. Um, and now I'm a lot more excited about what it looks like to live with Jesus in the here and now, mm. uh, to not just think about the, the gifts of the gospel that are coming in the next life, but to also think about the ways that the gifts of the gospel transform my participation in this life. Mm. Um, but but the same general good news uh, still still applies today that it's actually a remarkably good exchange to take your sort of tenuous hold over this human life you've got and say, actually, I'm willing to entrust that life to somebody who knows it a lot better than I do. And in exchange, I receive not only that life back, but a whole grand eternity. That's so good. Man, and you guys, if you want to hear, read more about Greg's growing up in Indonesia, please get this book <laughs> because Greg, I was like, oh, I know Greg pretty well. We've spent countless hours together on some speaking gigs, but just hearing your perspective, it just, it, it was both unique and yet uh, I felt like I could relate at so many levels um, and just, I didn't, there were things I didn't know that I loved reading about. So I like that the fire insurance no more and yet it's still a worthwhile exchange. Okay. Well, carrying that, um, just kind of that beautiful worldview with us, we are putting a bow on our gardens series today, which guys on our, um, impossible marriage book, you really don't have to read it to understand this, but basically we are talking about these different areas of our lives, uh, so that we don't see life as honestly a boring old timeline. Where you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and then you tithe and make babies and die. Um, 
But instead, it is this beautiful flourishing space where we get to cultivate with Gardener God and alongside our co-gardeners. And so we're talking specifically about the social garden. These are areas where we have, you know, our, our relationships, where we're interacting at a fun level and a deep level with others. And I thought you were the perfect one to interview about this, both because of your book, but also I, I know you think about these things. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go through a few different, within this garden, we're going to think about it as our solo or single selves. So even if you're married, you're also your own person. Uh, but then also married and single interaction in this social space. But then as a church, how can we engage this space better? So let's start solo, single. And uh, I need to just ask this question because we get asked this all the time. Yes, it comes to this social space, but I just need to ask because our listeners want to know. Greg, how did you know you were called to singleness and celibacy as opposed to marriage? Uh, yeah. Um, for, for me, it was, a, it was a number of things. Okay. Uh, it, it began, uh, well, initially I assumed as I was growing up, I assumed that I would get married because that was the so timeline. much by far the prevalent narrative in the communities that I grew up in, right? These nice evangelical spaces where it was like, well, if you've got half a brain and, you know, you're a nice looking young man and you loved you, you know, like obviously the Lord will bless you. Obviously you'll find a nice young lady. So, so, so that was the presumption that I had. And so the, the first sort of uh, the first interruption to that plan came when I started to sort of wrestle with my own experience of sexuality and say, I don't know that I will necessarily be a great fit within a marriage to an opposite sex partner. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I can necessarily honor and desire that person in the way that would be ideal for a marital relationship. Uh, so that, of course, you know, it, it launched a, a period of some searching in my own life, some attempting to become straight, which I think is kind of the compulsory story for a lot of us who grew up attracted to the same sex in Christian spaces. Uh, and then, it, and after that period of sort of attempting to become straight and realizing it didn't happen, there there followed then a period of sort of wrestling with my understanding of theology and what the Bible had to say about sexual ethics. This question of, well, if I'm not interested in marrying a woman, could I marry a man? Uh, I ended up concluding that if I really wanted to follow Jesus headlong, marrying a man was also not going to be an option that was on the table for me. And so having lost those two choices, I was like, well, it, it seems celibacy is the remaining choice. So, you know, the, the great process of elimination was, was very effective in my case. Um, I, and, and I think, uh, you know, the uh, scripture refers uh, a couple times to, to singleness, to celibacy as, as a gift. And sometimes people will ask me, they'll be like, you know, do you really think you have the gift of, of celibacy? Uh, and I sometimes respond, there are some gifts that you wish came with gift receipts. Right. Um, because there are times when the conclusion like, oh, I, th I think I should be single. There are times when it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. There are times when it doesn't feel like it's, it's great for me. Um, and yet the more I lean into it, the more I think I see the ways that God has been purposeful in guiding various aspects of my story to get me here. Okay. So right there, what you just described, um, I've, I've been in similar conversations with people who do wrestle with their sexuality in the same way you do, or they don't. And they, the suffering 
in specifically this social space, this intimacy, this relating space feels so astronomical that instead of concluding, even though it's hard, yet I will trust God, they're like, no, there has to be a different default and they'll go toward the desires of their heart. So how, and really it's the loneliness piece that I think is the biggest one and this like aching in their heart. So how did you go from, okay, here's maybe the default, you know, by process of elimination, here we are. I recognize that some days it's harder than others. How did you go from feeling like, okay, maybe woe is me, maybe you're never there. I am single and lonely and this is my lot in life to where I see you wrestling in your book and really you see this lovely tapestry of relationships that God has given you. So how did you go from, maybe what was me and talk about if you didn't to no, I'm going to lean in and start cultivating relationships. Yeah. I think my, my initial woe is me was in some ways an anticipation of a future woe, Mm. because of course, at the time I was reaching this conclusion, I was already single. And so in a sense saying like, I'll just keep doing this thing. Uh, there was a way in which I could look at my current life and say, well, my current life is fine. My current relationships could be really beautiful. Um, But when I anticipate the long-term, when I sort of watch the people around me sort of evolving around me and, you know, they sort of like happily pair off and, you know, uh, go off to their their homes and have their children or adopt their children or, you know, uh, I, I saw the vision of how the world was supposed to evolve. And so in a sense, it was like, I can see right now that God provides beautiful connection for me, uh, but, I, but I don't know if that will continue to be true into the future. So I think, I think that, was, that was part of my hmm. initial fear. Um, one of the things that was really helpful for me in, in, in wrestling with the question of whether singleness would actually be a sustainable way of living my entire life, one of the things that was really helpful for me was uh, to to look at some of the promises that Jesus makes about what happens when you give up some of the most obvious pathways to belonging. Um, that one of my favorite moments, uh, and I rave about it all the time. Maybe I've raved about it in conversation with you on this show before, uh, but it's the moment in the Gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, where Peter's like, uh, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. Like all the obvious ways that we were supposed to belong, we've sort of left them so we can follow you. Um, and Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers or wives or children or fields will fail to receive a hundred times as much. And, and so there's this sense in which Jesus says, you know, there are going to be obvious ways that you think you have to pursue belonging. There's going to be stuff that when you look at the world around you, you say, oh, this is the natural thing that I must do in order to earn the belonging that I feel I need in order to be okay. And Jesus says, no, no, actually counterintuitively, the way to get there, the way to receive the belonging that you need in order to truly uh, fit in the world in, in a way that's healthy and God honoring is actually to give up the things that you thought you needed. It's actually mm. in the reckless pursuit of Jesus that you find yourself being given a much better belonging than you thought you could possibly earn. And so there's this, there's this weird risk. There's, there's a kind of a gamble that we take in following Jesus to say, here's, here's the things I'm going to give up. 
but do I actually trust that God is going to keep his promises to me, not just now, but also in the future, right? As I look ahead, as I imagine where my life could evolve, do I actually trust Jesus enough to say that he's going to keep keeping his promises to me? Mm. And if I do, great, golden. If I don't, then, you know, really, what, what am I doing here in the first place? Like, why are we pretending to follow Jesus at all if we don't actually believe that he'll keep his promises? Man, guys, are you hearing this? Are you hearing this? We need to hear this in 2021. Because I think I don't know a person who didn't pick up some bad habits in 2020, or at least cranked some up. Like cranked, and if it's not, you know, whatever, exercising more or I don't know, something in order to try and satiate these desires of our heart. And time is today and the time is now to say, is Jesus worth it? And then to sit in the ache. That's what I'm hearing, Greg. Okay, this is kind of a random question. Do you have a social life with Jesus? Ooh. Ooh, I, I, I like this very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you might. I, I do. I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of talking about the connection that we have with Jesus in ways that sound counterintuitive and perhaps a bit uncomfortable yeah. uh, to, to some people. Because I think... I think sometimes we miss out on on the beauty of the connection that Jesus actually wants to have with us. Um, there, there's there's this one particular story that I tell in my book about uh, a time that I was in California by myself, um, and I, not not by myself the entire time. I mean, I went there to connect with the church, and it was a really lovely group of people. Um, but the first night I was there, like I flew in, and then I had like the late afternoon, evening, and I wasn't supposed to meet people until the following day. So I had like this time alone in uh, LA, and I was like, I'm like, am I? am I here alone? And is this sad and depressing? Like I went out to dinner by myself and I was like table for one. And, and the, the mater D looked at me and he was like, for one, like checking, like, are you sure there's only one of you? Um, and, and I realized, uh, I, I have the choice to think of this as like, Oh, woe is Greg. You know, he's, he's so sad and alone. No one is here with him, everything. Um, but instead, uh, the, the way I experienced that, that chunk of evening was like, this is, I'm like on a date with Jesus. Yeah. Um, like Jesus and I were having a grand old time. Like we're in conversation. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, like that's super cool. I've never been to LA before. This is, a, you know, we're sitting there. I'm like telling Jesus how good my food is. My waiter keeps stopping to be like, I'm sorry, sir. Did you need something? Aww. And I was like, no, sorry. Did I give you that? He was like, you just looked like you were interacting with someone. And I was like, ah, I didn't want to be like, I am. It's, it's, it's the divine. It is my savior with whom I am interacting. Because I wasn't sure if that would come off quite that. Um, but, but there was this sense in which I think, uh, I think we are invited to experience a life in which Jesus is actually within us, is, is journeying with us. Um, and that is not just a sort of abstract thing that we claim intellectually, um, but it is meant to be a real relational and emotional part of our experience of the world. It's so good. I love that. I love that. And if you guys try it, who are listening, I want you to be a weirdo like Greg and I, because I do that too. (laughs) I haven't done it recently, but it's so restorative for my soul. Anytime I invite the Lord into right now, he's already there. I'm just like, really, it's like open up my awareness to him. It makes life so sweet. 
And I loved that scene uh, in your book. And guys, if you try that, will you please email me? And if you want me to forward it on to Greg, I will. And I'll just say, look, Greg, it's, it's trending. The Jesus date's trending. <laughs> okay, here's a question. How much of your social life, your interactions with others, do you reach out to others? And how much are you waiting for them to reach out to you? Do you have like a rule of thumb or how's that role? I think in the, in the healthy relationships, I like to think there's some good give and take there. Uh, I, I'm definitely of the opinion that when, when you go to a new place or a new context, um, that whether, regardless of how it should be, like even if you go to a new context and you're like, it would be really great if these people all sort of reached out to me. Um, I think I think it is helpful uh, to sort of get get out of your own head, you know, uh, knock yourself down a peg and be like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm just going to kind of intentionally uh, throw myself out there to a lot of people just to create the opportunity for connection. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's really valuable, especially early on. Um, but, but the number one thing that I've found really helpful in striking that balance in relationships that turn out to be really good and healthy and hang in there for the long term, I've found that it's much more healthy for me, uh, to not think of either end of the relationship as obligation Mm -hmm. to not be like, well, look, Lori owes me a text at least once every two weeks. And the fact that you have not texted me in months, Lori, I am just offended. Mm -hmm. Like I, maybe you have things going on. I'm offended that you are not reaching out. And and then on the other hand, uh, to not guilt myself for being like, OMG, I'm such a bad friend because, you know, Lori had this amazing book come out and I haven't checked in nearly enough about, you know, I, I think if we, if we create a sense of obligation on either or both ends of the relationship, uh, then we create shame for ourselves. We often create antagonism with the people we're trying to be friends with. Um, and I think a lot of it is rooted in our sense of insecurity that we have to cling on to this relationship with our own fist tightly held um, because we don't actually trust the people we love. We don't actually trust that if this relationship fades away, God will provide other relationships. Uh, and sometimes we just don't trust God to sort of fill our hearts in the interim. Yeah. Uh, I never want to suggest that God is enough means like, and you never need interaction with any other human being ever. But one of the things that God is enough definitely does mean is that in the seasons of your life when you have fewer interactions with human beings, God is definitely going to fill the gaps in the meantime and going to provide the new human relationships that you need in order to truly flourish. Mm. And I think when we believe all those things, we can be a lot less aggressive in demanding, here's what I must do on my end of the relationship. Here's what the other person in this relationship owes me. Mm. And we can start to say and said like, no, these things are gifts. Like I can just be genuinely delighted when I get a text message from Lori. I don't have to check it against my Excel spreadsheet and be like, well, this text message is coming three and a half weeks late. Um, I, I can receive those things as, as gifts, which is what they are, yeah. instead of trying to match them against some vision that I have of the sense of obligation that I think ought to come with relationship. That is incredible. And also incredible marriage advice is it's, it's invitational as opposed to demand. And granted, there are some, you know, 
care for the children sorts of things. But even that, like we can't force people to do things. We can be invitational. We can have like, here's, you know, the calling, you know, God wants us to be one and raise these children. But I just think that invitational, that lack of control and demand, which really can come from fear, um, but as opposed to resting in the Lord and inviting. I really, really like that. Hey guys, it's Lori. And Matt. And Steve. Hey guys, we have recently discovered a new to us translation of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. And you know what? We love it. (laughs) Currently, we really like the Holy Land Illustrated Edition. Yeah, I love that one because I've never been to Israel or Turkey or anything. And so to like see those places while I'm reading. Yeah, it just it makes you feel like uh, like you're experiencing it without having to drop a few thousand dollars to do so. Uh, Yeah. So, guys, if you want to check out this Holy Land Illustrated Bible, visit CSBHolyLandIllustratedBible.com. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Do single people need a home base as far as like your quarantine, you know, is that going to, is that like your family? Like, do you need roommates? Do you need a best one best friend or is it more of a group of friends? And like you said, like if this friendship falls off, God's going to provide more because he is the, he's my home base. Like how do you need that or don't you? I think the, well, the specific needs of specific people, I think it's possible that those needs vary from person to person. I I would never presume to be like, I've figured out what every single person needs because it works really well for me. Right. Um, So, so I I think uh, speaking from sort of broad experience and also what I feel like we see modeled in the Bible, uh, I think we absolutely all need deep human connection. Um, and I think that includes people with whom, at least to some degree, we get to share life's ordinary moments. Yeah. Um, in other words, uh, I don't think it's bad to live alone, but I think if you live alone uh, and all you ever develop are these sort of acquaintancy friendships where you talk about the high tier things, but you never really sort of dig into the, the, the momentary things of life, I think there's something really unhealthy about that. Um, I think, I think when, when God, uh, says to Adam and he, or when God says to Adam in the garden, he's like, you know, like, it's not good for the man to be alone. Like we should make another one of these, um, right. He's, he's making Eve. And so there's a sense of like, oh, look, marriage and like procreation is a two player game. And all those sorts of things are going on in the book of Genesis. But I think there's also this broader claim that like, no, like with human beings, they're actually intended to share life with one another, to see the face of God reflected in the image of God around them, right? In these image bearers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we need is some deep human connection that will allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think the biblical intention is that the primary place we turn for that deep human connection is the family of God. Right. Right. and, and so, you know, so do we need family connection? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and the way Jesus frames it, the, the place that we are supposed to run in search of that family connection, the first place that we ought to be able to go is to the, the, the siblings in Christ who are all around us, um, who, who are journeying in the same direction with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the specifics of how that plays out, you know, do you have a roommate? Don't you have a roommate? Um, 
what, you know, are you in a community group at church? Um, do you need some kind of formalized structure uh, in order to have it count? Uh, do you need uh, do you need somebody who you call your accountability partner and you get together for one hour every week and you talk about the accountability things? Uh, I think some of those I think some of those questions have to be answered on a case by case basis because it depends on like, well, it depends on what you're going to need to set up for mm -hmm. yourself in order to make sure that you get the kind of human connection that you need. So I don't think there's a single path that is mandated. I think the mandate, the clear need is like somehow, somewhere, find people with whom you can be sort of fully known um, and people who you can in turn fully know so that to one another, you can reflect the love of God. Yeah, and that's in the context of the church, the family of God. And I want to circle back to the church because I've got so many questions about how that's supposed to roll. And I think COVID and uh, all the isolation has really revealed, I don't know, just, I, I don't think we're doing it right. And I don't want it to be a pastor shamey thing. This isn't pointing at pastors and saying you're doing it wrong. I think we just need a better way. So I want to circle back there, but now we're going to move from solo single to talk about interactions between people called to singleness or people called to marriage um, and I really, again, appreciated this in your book, just the interaction between your married friends with kids and you, what's, can you tell us just one of the, the best relationships you have with a married couple and what, what are some of the, the elements of it that make, make it healthy? Mm. Uh, yeah. So some of my, some of my dearest friends here in state college, uh, the Hennings, uh, Aaron and Amy, uh, and I've, I've known them. I've known them forever. In fact, they're, they're the people to whom my last book was dedicated. Um, so they've been they've been really instrumental uh, in in my journey, and and I think some of the things that make our relationship healthy. Um, well, one is that our 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 interaction with each other is not limited to the times at which we are sort of polished off for one another. Mm. Uh, like there's, there's not a sense in which I need to sort of like, ah, yes, like we have our meeting scheduled and then we shall, you know, we shall put on our proper face and, you know, kind of dole ourselves up and then go and present the part of ourselves that we want to be seen. Right. Uh, there's a sense in which life happening together needs to be somewhat more enmeshed than that, um, such that it becomes okay to see things like, ah, yes, like now, now they're, you know, now they're sort of, we're all in their house, but they're actually off doing other things. And I'm just sort of sitting here, you know, chatting with one of the children. Now the children actually need to be disciplined. And, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out here, fly on the wall. Um, you know, now I'm randomly deciding to teach their children large words. Um, just which teaching people large words is like an ordinary people. Uh, and it's an ordinary part of my life. So for me, the sign that I'm like really connected with people is like, ah, we got close enough to learn some large words. <laughs> but I, I think, I think it's it's just the idea that uh, that to truly belong with people, we need to move beyond a hospitality that is sort of like put together and perfected and polished up into a hospitality that's much more ordinary and daily. That's great. And there's something so sweetly comfortable when I, you know, some of my, my best interactions with my single friends, you know, just on this end is exactly what you're saying is, and we've had to have some DTRs um, where I'm like, 
I'm a mess and my kids are insane right now. And like, everything's garbage. What's your expectation for coming over? You know? And I'm like, do you need a meal and a deep chat? Cause I was like, I'm barely hanging on <laughs> this second. And not cause like maybe I need therapy. I mean, whatever, probably everyone does right now, but it's more like I'm a mom of three kids and a puppy. Um, and so what I've appreciated is when we DTR is they're like, no, I just need to be around family noise. And then that takes the pressure off of me. And then I feel like I can host better. And I don't, I don't love that. It always has to be at our house. And I say that only because I would love to be able to, you know, and I'll come to you and it's just harder (laughs) with the kids. Um, But I appreciate when my single friends are like, I'm just going to sit here and color with the oldest one. And so I saw that scene in your book and that's just, I think for people listening, married people, single people listening, it doesn't have to be so formal. It can be, and actually can be the sweetest times when it's just normal. So in conversations with uh, single friends, I've just had this question in my mind because there's parts in maybe even those normal interactions where we bump into marriage convo, where Matt and I are, you know, we wouldn't want to have these conversations in front of everyone, but where it's like, Single people can't, can't, can they offer advice into things like sexuality or se- I don't know. So it gets like this awkward, like, uh, oh, well, this is where the barriers are. We can't talk. Cause I can only talk with my married friends about this, but then there's this terrible, um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel very fair because then I'm like, but I can talk all over all day into your life. And I hope I don't do this in real life, but it's like, because I was single for four and a half minutes between college and getting married. (laughs) So it seems like you can relate to this. Can you help me understand how we can do better as married people, either being more invitational into these spaces or shutting our stinking mouths and feeling like we can, we get it. Yeah, I, um, I I love I love your observation about like the the sort of mismatch between like oh like married people can give advice about singleness you know until the cows come home, um, and 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 I think it's appropriate for us to have a category in our minds of inviting the listening ear and perhaps the wisdom if indeed we think that our friends are people of wisdom yep. uh, inviting the wisdom of people who have life experiences unlike ours to speak into our life experiences mm. um, uh, so so Aaron and Amy these these dear friends of mine who I just mentioned um, when I was beginning to come out as gay and and again as Laurie said earlier I don't think we need to get hung up on the sexuality language like if you if you prefer to think of like when I can when I began to talk about the fact that I experienced attraction to the same sex, yeah. you can just anytime I say being gay, you can just sub that Switch in it. there and call it good. Um, but uh, but when I began to think about like, okay, what does it look like to sort of own this experience in the world? What does it look like for me to live wisely in this way? Oh my gosh, what if I publish a book about this? Like, what the crap? Um, when I began to ask those questions, I went to Aaron and Amy and had conversation with them. And I did not say, dear Aaron and Amy, because you both clearly have a lot of experience with being gay, coming out and writing a book about it. Could you give me some advice? Mm. I went to them because I said, here are people who I trust, who know me well, who I see as people of wisdom who love Jesus. And so I would love to hear their feedback, even if I don't think that every word they speak to me is the word of God, even if they can't necessarily say, based on my own life, here's what you should do to become like me. Um, I still want to hear their input. And in fact, I think generally when we're going to people for godly counsel, 
maybe it's helpful to get out of the mindset of saying godly counsel is all about someone telling me, here's how to do exactly what I did so that you can become more like me. Oh, that's um, good. I think this is part of why, I think that mentality is part of why so many married Christian leaders counsel all the single people to become married because they're like, I want you to grow in Jesus like I grew in Jesus. And the only way I know how to grow in Jesus is by getting married. And so if you don't get married, I'll no longer be able to tell you how to become more like me. And that scares me. I think we need to be more okay with saying, let me help you follow Jesus and be really, really okay with the fact that you following Jesus is going to look differently than me following Jesus. Mm. Um, And I think when we start to change our mentality so that that kind of input is actually welcome and expected, that we don't expect people to have identical experiences to ours, then I think we have opportunity for my dear, my dear straight friends to give me wisdom that has to do with my experience of sexuality. And we have opportunity for my dear married friends to give me wisdom that has to do with being single for many more years than they have dared to imagine. Um, And that, I think if we accept those things, that maybe means that married people need to have the humility to recognize that sometimes your wise, godly, single friends might actually also have input that is helpful for you. Uh, Not because we have identical life experiences, not because we can tell you how to become more like us, but because sometimes, and this may shock you to hear some of you married people, but sometimes God also speaks to me. Um, And it might be that God wants to speak to you through me, just as I hope that I am always eager to receive the words that God wants to speak to me through you. So good. Anyone else need to do some little repentance right now about how prideful and arrogant we can be as married people. And truly, Greg, what you're saying, if if it's biblical advice, it's going to be biblical and if you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's going to be from the Holy Spirit. And so for us to, I really, you're so right. We need to be thinking about, okay, what kind of advice have we been giving for the last decades? Is it really only life experience advice or are we offering to whomever, uh, straight, gay, LGBT, same-sex attracted, single, married, whomever, are we offering biblical advice or are we just offering our own brain advice Um, Not that God can't use that, but I just think that's humility is key. And I just want to reflect and repent in some areas of my own life. So thank you. Let's talk about the church. We opened up this uh, can of worms a little bit ago. I am thinking about the church a lot. And um, I think, you know, Francis Chan's letter to the church really like blew my mind. And then I started reading more books in the same vein. And I just realized, I just kept asking like, what is the church? What's it mean to be the church? And then COVID hits and you're like, is it just going to the, is it just the building? It's not, not the building, but it's also the people in the building. So my question is this, when my single friends come to me who I'm trying to love as best as I can and ask questions about the loneliness piece of their life, I want to refer to the church, but I don't even know where to point to Greg. I don't, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I'm part of it. You're part of it. And yes, let's go to church. But then how how is it that we are interacting incorrectly with the local church? Like, is it on us that we're like, we're not involved enough or is it that generally speaking, the local church is not, doing enough. What do you see? 
so I think sometimes our use of the word church can can get us a little a little off kilter, mm. uh, which which is part of why I sometimes find it helpful to frame the conversation more in terms of like the family of God or right. the people of God or fellow followers of Jesus, um, which is when the, when the New Testament talks about church or talks about the thing that we now translate into English as church, the Koine Greek word there uh, is ekklesia um, from ekkaleo, uh, like the ones who are called out. Mm. Um, and so so church there is is referring to a body of believers, um, un, rather unlike the ways that our English word church has so often become, you know, sometimes church refers to like the church building, or sometimes it refers to a particular institutional structure or a set of institutional structures. Um and so, you know, we sort of sub in things like particular congregation under a particular pastor or, you know, this group with this name and this building under this denomination. And I think that I think that those things um, are, are really valuable. I mean, I am part of a church community that has a building that we meet in and we're grateful for the building, you know, because it, it lets us meet except during COVID when sometimes we can't gather in the building. And, you know, but that I think I, I actually think that COVID times, one of the things that they have done is begin to reveal some of the problematic ways that we've lost sight of the body and substituted for the body, just people getting together in a building at this preset time and called that thing church. Oh, you wanna know about church? There's the building I go to, here's the time I go, that is church. Um, and, and being forced out of that mentality, saying, like, we can no longer go to said building. We can no longer do the sort of ritualistic activities that we had gotten in the habit of doing. I think it's really revealing because it helps us see that when when Jesus says, you know, my my solution to those of you who have given things up to follow me and therefore have understandable concerns about like, this sounds really lonely if I give up everything and follow this guy who I can no longer see with my eyes. Um, the solution that Jesus gives us is not like go to church once a week on Sunday morning, uh, shake hands with a couple people, call it good. That will meet your spiritual needs. Um, the, the solution is like, you are you are surrounded by a host of witnesses who are who are journeying together, um, and and in relationship with those people, you are meant to be encouraged and to encourage in turn. Um, and and the structures of church that we have, I think, can be really useful tools toward that end. Mm. Um, so I'm super grateful that I am a member of a local church body and that I have people who I have sort of uh, said officially, like, yes, I trust you to spiritually lead me in these ways. And that I have people then who I can say, here's a set of people who I have committed to investing in, in my own leadership roles. Um, but those things are not themselves church. Those things are just tools, systems that are set up by which I can experience the beauty of that which is actually church, which is what happens in relationship with other people. Uh, and so when I get to be in relationship with uh, Lori Krieg, for instance, I distinctly remember a time uh, shortly after my first book came out, which was like the hardest year of my life in so many ways. It was what a season, what a mm. season. Um, uh, but I, re I distinctly remember having this one conversation with Lori and Matt where, you know, uh, they're like several states away from me. So we're just on Zoom. Um, and I'm just sort of telling them about like, look, it's really hard when like 
everybody's calling you a heretic, but then everybody else is telling you you're like to blame for all kinds of societal ills. And, and I was just like, it's just really, really hard. Um, and, and the encouragement that I got from Matt and Lori in that moment, that was church. Um, that was the body of Christ being family, being belonging for one another. Um, and so in that case, it didn't matter that we didn't have a structure instituting us. It didn't matter that we weren't part of the same community group. It didn't matter that there was great distance between us. Uh, why? Because those structures are not meant to supplant relationship. Those structures are meant to facilitate relationship. That's a great way of seeing it and putting it and is really encouraging. Greg, I just, as you were talking, I just got to such a picture of someone who's listening and maybe multiple someone's who are like really on the edge of giving up and maybe even started listening to this podcast and were like, really like, yay, Jesus, yay, surrender. And then they're listening to this one and maybe there's a spark of hope, but they're really like, no, Greg, you don't even know. Like I am so lonely. This is so hard to keep following Jesus, whether they're married or single, but they're really struggling what would be a word uh, that you would want to share with them right now? When I think about the reasons that I am really glad to be a follower of Jesus, one of the foremost among them is that Jesus, Jesus is not a God who interacts with us at a distance. Um, He's not a God who sort of like pops his head down and is like, oh, things are rough, huh? Like, well, you know, pat on the back, you know, suck it up and deal. <laughs> Stiff up the um, lip. Uh, 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 but Jesus is, is Emmanuel, is, is the God who, who comes down, who inhabits our space, um, not just in the sense of physical proximity, uh, but also in the sense of experiencing the things that we have experienced, um, experiencing that, that depth of loneliness and despair. Um, and I think, I think sometimes people who interact with me maybe get the wrong idea. Well, maybe cause I, I, I am a fairly cheery person in general. Um, and I think I'm, I'm genuinely committed to the notion that following Jesus is like this really beautiful and joyful thing. Um, but that joy is not for me and was also not for Jesus a joy that is uh, separate from the experience of real sorrow um, and, and at times very deep pain. Um, and for me, what has been such a deep encouragement uh, in those times of sorrow and pain, and again, some of those sorrows and pains for me are, are really ongoing. Um, they're, they're things that I experience not instead of joy, but in addition to joy, there's this way in which they sort of join hands and dance together. And the joy becomes more robust because I recognize that there's sorrow along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that brings me such great encouragement uh, is to know that I am not alone in those things. Um, and that, that the fact that I am not alone uh, remains true whether or not I feel it on an emotional level, um, uh, but that I am I am loved by God and I am loved by the people around me, and that b- both God and the people around me uh, 
have a way of deeply empathizing with what I'm going through. Like, I, I think the lie of the enemy in those moments is like, this is, you know, you are, you are distinct in this. Like, this is something you are experiencing that no one else ever has, ever will, and no one else cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things are both so false, uh, both on the human level uh, and on the divine level, mm-hmm. um, that not only do other people empathize with us and love us, but also, and even more importantly, Jesus loves us and empathizes with us. Um, and 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 for me, even, even just the fact that I follow a Jesus who says that he has done that, even in the moments when I'm like, look, Jesus, you don't get it. Like, this is so much harder than anything, you know, and I say some ridiculous things to Jesus. And I think, you know, he sort of smiles and nods and is like, wait for it, Coles. You'll realize how stupid this sounds eventually. Um, but but like even in those moments when I am sort of most boneheaded, you know, like most unable to see the deep compassion and the deep love of Jesus, my failure to grasp those things has absolutely no bearing on Jesus's ability to continue loving me and empathizing with me mm. in those ways. Um, that it actually matters so little what I can do or what I can recognize or what I can wrap my head around or what I can cling to, because all the most important clinging is the clinging that Jesus is doing, clinging to me. Amen. Man, Greg, thank you so much for sharing uh, your heart and wisdom and uh, story with us today. It's been such a joy. I'm, I'm so glad that even as a single person, I could maybe manage to <sighs> eke out just a teens of wisdom. So sad. Not even even as. It's just, I just, guys, if you haven't repented, do it. Do it now. <laughs> it's time. It's time for us to truly not just say it, but really believe it into the core of us. Just that singleness and marriage are equally valuable vocations and ways we can preach the gospel. So thanks again, Greg, you are a treasure. Um, and I'll keep saying it. Thanks again for sharing with us today. The feeling is mutual, my friend. Thanks for having me. Oh, guys, please go get Greg's amazing book that brought me to literal tears called no longer strangers finding belonging in a world of alienation wherever you get your books but back after an eight nine week hiatus we have a question of the week for next week which you can respond by going to podcast at lauriecreek.com not just going to but emailing podcast at lauriecreek.com your answer uh, you can follow me on the socials but this is the question what did you collect as a kid What did you collect? Baseball cards, pogs, Pokemon, coins, frogs. I want to hear it all. Thank you, Greg Coles. I think I'd like to hear his answer too. Uh, But for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, guys, we will see you next week.